Dirk Podcast at Forest Dirk Pod on Twitter. Max has been going off on the Bluebird. Uh, we are back today. We're going to be doing some start bench cut, a bunch of player trios I put together. Max has not seen yet. And before we do that, and also get into some Knicks talk because the Knicks are kind of the talk of the town until turned out last night Kyrie is in the thick of his prime and maybe as good as ever. But there's still next stuff to talk about. Before we get there, Max, I know two nights ago you were at Oracle for Warriors Pelicans for what is starting to feel like the fall of a dynasty. Yep. Take us there. Yeah. So the first indicator of the fall of the dynasty is the lower bowl tickets I got for Pelicans Warriors were $20 cheaper than the upper bowl tickets I'd gotten just a week earlier for Pistons Warriors. So I think the fan base is aware that the product is worsening and these prices are going down, which is a neutral basketball fan in San Francisco is wonderful. But yeah, Pelicans absolutely just beat the crap out of the Warriors the entire night. It was clear the Warriors were too small, not skilled enough, especially with Chris Paul out like, you know, their best. I don't even know who their third best player is with Chris Paul and Draymond Green out. Like, is it Pajemski? He didn't do very much that night. Is it? It definitely isn't Wiggins. It definitely isn't Looney anymore. Like the the op is it Kaminga? The options really grow thin. Um, I'll start with the Pels because they were extremely impressive. I thought they shared the ball extremely well. Zion wasn't super assertive, but I posted a little clip on our Twitter of how he did a great job of just making the easy decisive pass. And I saw similar clips floating around for Trey Murphy. Like that whole team is just really clicking, sharing the ball extremely well. I continue to think Trey Murphy is the best bench player in the league. And he had a great game when I went and saw him just, you know, shooting, cutting all that. And Pelicans, the deepest team in the league, like Jose Alvarado didn't even really play, but still got huge contributions from Jordan Hawkins, Trey Murphy. When we did roll call, I forgot to mention Najee Marshall, who's really good for them. Jonas Valanciunas had like a 10-0 run by himself when the Warriors were maybe going to make it interesting that kind of just put it away. And yeah, also I'll say Zion didn't look insanely huge in person. He looked like I would expect him to look, which is a good sign. Um, but overall, yeah, the Warriors kind of just looked like a broken team, like big talent deficiency between them and the Pelicans. So there's just way too much on Steph. He couldn't really get anything going. And he's getting no pressure taken off him from anyone else on that team. The boos came at a few different times from the crowd, which to me, if you just won a championship a year and a half ago, is like a little soon to be booing the team, but you know, to each their own. And yeah, I think the Warriors have to do something. We'll probably do more like trade related pods as we get closer to the deadline, but this team ain't it. I think honestly, the longer they hold on to Kaminga, I think his value is going to go down because I don't really see it with him as far as being like a star level player. So while there's still some hope and inkling that he might have that star within him, I think you should try to strike while the iron's hot and get some good value back for him. And if people still think like Moody can be a starter level player for them down the line, like you should absolutely strike there as well. Cause I'm not convinced that's the case. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure exactly what the move is for them, but clearly this roster as it is, ain't it? Maybe Draymond will make a difference when he comes back, but I just don't think they're big enough, skilled enough, fast enough, like all that. So yeah, and the Pels look incredible. I think they're uh, 
a for real Western Conference Finals contender if they can stay healthy. Um, last, last piece for the diehards of this podcast. In-person experience, which I could not have seen from TV. First of all, it was like a 40-point game with eight minutes left, so all the Warriors fans left. And I crept down from like the 20th row where I was to the fifth row. Got a real good look at the Pelicans bench. They love EJ Liddell. They love that man. <laughs> He was, yeah. wait, he was waiting at the scores table to check in for like two minutes. And Jose Alvarado was like screaming to the team to intentionally foul someone to get him in the game. And then every time down, they were like pointing to get him the ball so he could get a shot up. He finally got one shot up and missed, but that's all. Yeah. Willie Green, guilty of career murder of the first degree. I just want to say this, Jake Dow, other Bay Area fans, if you're listening to this, just chill with the curse shit. I, I, I think that... I could make a pretty strong argument that Steve Kerr is more important to this dynasty, whatever you think it is, than Kevin Durant. And like when Mark Jackson left or was asked to leave and Steve Kerr stepped in, like that is that is when the magic started. And I'm not saying that he's always playing the best lineups. Uh, I think what's more ridiculous than, you know, benching Moody or not playing Kuminga as much as the fans want him to is Kuminga in 2024 thinking that he has enough equity to go to Shams or whoever and say like he's frustrated and kind of ask out because Kuminga is just not that level of player and I, I agree strike while the while the iron's hot um I just don't think Kuminga has the feel uh to lead me to believe that like he has a Kuming uh, or a, a Siakam type of ceiling, which is kind of his player archetype. Um, yeah, but yeah, that that's that's good news on Zion. This inflation is is slowing down. It sounds like. Yeah, we're the yo-yo is is descending. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I'm and oh, the last thing I'll say too, Andy Bailey just has some of the best tweet basketball tweets. Period. He's he's been. The, the king of the NBA Twitter game for a few years now, it feels like. Um, and he pointed out just how ridiculous it is now in retrospect that the Warriors were able to steal that 2022 title. And I couldn't agree more. Like yep. this roster hasn't changed a lot. Obviously the Wiggins regression is a, is a mystery. I still can't figure out from Reddit theories exactly what's happened in his personal life. Obviously that's, <laughs> that that's just not really my business but uh it's 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 crazy obviously his age is you know he should still be in the thick of his prime um maybe even building off of the confidence that he uh that that you take from a run like he had in that playoffs it, it just doesn't make much sense to me uh he doesn't look out of shape like that was one of the things we were hearing is that like he showed up out of shape for this season and like needed to play his way into shape but he just he doesn't have a body type where you can really tell um yeah he does look gassed sometimes but yeah it, it's great this roster and curry got his fourth ring it just was in retrospect incredibly improbable and um maybe again a testament to what to, to Steve Kerr's to the competitive advantage you have with Steve Kerr at the helm. Uh, so I'll, I'll ride for Kerr till the end, especially because my team has Chauncey right now. All right. On to some start bench cuts. Uh, why not? What are we like 30 something games in? Let's see where Max is at on some of these fun player trios. 
the first one I I, I made a, a fun little title for each one. Uh, the first one I have is tier one B on ball studs. So not the absolute best of the best, like the Lucas and the Jokic's, but um, three guys I'm interested in how you rank them: Tyrese Halliburton, Anthony Edwards, Devin Booker. All right, I think I have Ant at the bottom of that pile, so he's he's okay. getting cut. Um, Tyrese versus Booker is a tough one. I think just because of proven playoff track record, I'm going to go Booker one, Tyrese two, Ant three. Uh, also, Booker has the edge uh, as a defender over Tyrese, but I do think Tyrese as a sort of singular offensive force obviously does way more for you than almost anyone in the league. Yeah. And this may look foolish once the playoffs roll around, but I think just the proven playoff track record of Booker where he's still able to score at the same efficiency or even more efficiently in the playoffs, though I, I don't love that it always comes down to whether he's making or missing his his mid-range jumper. But yeah, and Ant, the reason I put him at the bottom is just the inconsistency with sort of the efficiency. Um, As a defender, he's the strongest of the three, at least when he's totally locked in. Um, As a playmaker, he's the worst of the three by a pretty significant margin. And then scoring wise, he has the physical frame where he should be the best playoff scorer of the three in terms of just being able to physically assert himself whenever he wants. But I think too often he kind of settles for those long pull-ups and still the the decision-making kind of in crunch time can, can wax and wane in terms of its quality. So yeah, I'll go Booker one, Halliburton two, Ant three. But yeah, if, Halliburton and or Edwards has a insane playoff run. They could very easily go to the top of that. Yeah, makes sense to me. I think you could make a pretty strong argument that Ant has the highest ceiling here as like a crunch time one-on-one scorer, like tough bucket getter, even though that's also kind of Booker's bread and butter. I think that you're right here just because Halliburton and Booker have shown uh more ability to uh augment the guys around them so i i think i i I think i'm with you there would it make it any more interesting if i threw tyrese maxi into this mix or would he just be slated into the bottom despite the breakout year yeah he'd go at the bottom just because of his size and his yeah just yeah defensively you can take advantage of him in a way quick maxi note though i just when Maxi was in the draft, I I really thought that he was going to be like a two-way point guard. Um maybe like he he's kind of a combo guard, but but a two-way guy. Um because he's laterally so quick. We've started to see flashes of this. I think the foul that they called on him against Trey Young a couple nights ago was complete bullshit. Or was it last night? Um I think I'm just plugging Maxi's defensive ceiling cuz I think he's been such a lights out shooter and creator for them this year that his defense, his defensive potential and the flashes get lost in the mix a little bit. Um, yeah. All right. Regular season offensive engines, De'Aaron Fox, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell. Am I just ranking them as offensive engines or as players? As players. I just, I, I thought that they kind of belong in a category together. Sure. Uh, I'm going to put Donnie Mitch at the top of that pile. Um, Okay. De'Aaron Fox has made a leap as a three-point shooter this year. 
but I still think Mitchell's the best shooter of the bunch. Uh, and I can, none of these guys are great defenders. Mitchell has at least shown the ability at points in time to hang on that end. And with his frame, he should be able to. So I give him the edge there. He's obviously not the playmaker that either Fox or Trey is, but I'm going to go Mitchell Fox Trey as my order. Um, Fox has just been super impressive and still kind of, you know, I, I expected that Kings team to regress some and they've been, you know, pretty in line with where they've been in the past as, as long as they don't play the Pelicans. Cause they absolutely get slaughtered every time they play the Pelicans. But yeah, Fox, I mean, he's averaging like 30 points a game. I think all yeah. three of them are averaging basically 30 points a game, which is, which is crazy, but yeah. <laughs> and, and Trey it's, his numbers are insane. Like every time you you look, he's putting up some sort of historical five game stretch that we haven't seen in in thirty years or whatever. But since like Oscar Robertson, but other than that one conference finals run, which happened under pretty unique circumstances and a pretty favorable path against a very not very talented Knicks team and a imploding Sixers team. It's just not clear how successful you can be with Trey Young sort of on the court for you on both ends. And I think Atlanta has to go, well, they have to figure out whether they can be successful with Trey. And I think to do that, they just have to surround him with a bunch of really strong three and D players. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping they trade DeJounte Murray for someone who fits a little bit better next to Trey as a defender. Um, but yeah, just because, of the the way he can be taken advantage of defensively and the lack of of winning that seems to accompany him for all of his career but one year i'm gonna go mitchell one fox two trey three yeah trey's putting together an interesting resume because like all he does is get his team to the playoffs and keep them relevant and i texted you last night how ashamed i am for the years i wouldn't shut up about how the Blazers were stuck in no man's land. Like what I'd give to have a Trey Young no man's land team right now, um, because I'm I'm actually becoming convinced that we're, that the Blazers are worse than the Pistons. Uh, Fox and Mitchell, as you said, you can they have the physical tools um, to defend in a pinch, uh, and it just feels much easier to build a functional defense around them. The Jazz did it for a while with Mitchell, even when his defense was not always there. Um, the the Kings have been an offensive team now for a few years, but like yeah, Fox Fox is quick um, and just way bigger than Trey Young. I, I just think the Trey Young evaluation, I, I never quite know what to think because it's widely agreed upon that he's one of the worst defenders in the league, if not the worst like point of attack defender you'll find. Um, and yet, like, he just drags that team to relevance year after year. And also for like 175 pounds soaking wet or whatever he is, uh, plays a ton of games. So yeah. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Okay. Oh, um, last thing I'll say, De'Aaron Fox, like, didn't make more than a three and a half a game his whole career uh, until this year. He's making 3.3 on 8.3 attempts. Uh, career 33% shooter from three. Uh, he shot 37% as a sophomore, which was kind of a fluke because he hasn't, 
even touched 33% since then until now when he's now making three a game shooting 39%. Uh, he's never cracked 80% as a free throw shooter. Like he doesn't have elite touch, but if he continues to shoot threes like this, um, he might belong at the top of this trio because yeah. uh, we've been, we talked last week uh, about last step guys and Jalen Brunson, I mentioned as potentially having the best last step in the league. I would put De'Aaron Fox in that mix as well. He has such an incredible first step that I think his last step, like the way that he pivots at the end of his drives to just create a little bit of extra space um, is an underrated beauty of his game. Yeah. All the steps with De'Aaron Fox. are Yeah. Elite. For sure. Okay. Uh, Young Wings. I credit this one to NBA University. This is kind of what made me want to do this segment. Um, I removed, they they did this as a quartet. I removed Devin Vassell from the mix. But the Young Wings I present to you are Keegan Murray, Jalen Johnson, Jabari Smith Jr. So I think because of, and I assume this is for like talking long term, who we'd want? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's say, yeah, for a few years of development. Yeah, I'm going to put Jabari first because he has the pedigree. He's the youngest of the three by a significant margin, like at least two years, I think. Yeah, And he's already displaying the ability to be a very good like 3 and D role player on a relatively successful team in Houston. Um, he's someone where, I mean, he's a big, I don't love the interior defense, but as a switcher, he's he's excellent. And I'm not exactly sure where his jump shot numbers are at, but I trust that he's he's a good shooter and that's going to be a part of his game. And he's got enough sort of left in terms of age that he can still make pretty significant strides offensively. Like already he's gone from can't dribble as he was coming into the league to like can dribble a little bit, which is a big, <laughs> a big improvement. Um so I'd go Jabari one just because of the age and because we already kind of see it with him. I I maybe branded a Keegan Murray hater as I did have EJ Liddell over him in the draft. I, I am going to go Jalen Johnson two and Keegan Murray three. Um, Jalen Johnson's having an incredible season. He's been honestly the Hawks second best player at times this year. Uh, made a huge leap from... The, his first two years in the league where he really wasn't getting much playing time. He's a great rebounder. Like just his last five games, he's had 16 rebounds, 11 rebounds, eight rebounds, seven, 13, 15, the game before that, like someone who's a wing, that's like a big component. Uh, I was just seeing on Twitter that his mid range efficiency is really high this year, which that squares with what you see. He's not someone who shoots a lot of threes at a high volume or high percentage yet. The percentage is fine, but it's like he barely shoots them. But I think with his free throw percentage being around 80%, his mid-range shooting being pretty good, I think I can trust that he'll develop that three-point shot to at least be okay at some point in his career. And I just love the feel with him. Like he's he's not a wing who's just averaging like, you know, one assist a game. He's consistently getting three, four, five, six assists in these games. And then the athleticism is just like, you don't find that combination of feel, ability to handle a little bit with decent touch and just like absurd athleticism. If if, you, if anyone here hasn't seen some of Jalen Johnson's dunks this year, highly recommend you just look up Jalen Johnson dunks and watch, you know, whichever the first three are, because 
he's had some insane like poster dunks where he he's looking like one of the more athletic young players in the league. So I'm someone who really values feel and playmaking uh, and size as well. And I think he's got all of that in spades for his position. And then I'd put Keegan Murray three. Keegan's probably the most sure thing of the three because it's already clear what he can be as kind of a three and a, a really good three point shooting, like power forward uh, with at least decent defense and being an intelligent player. I don't trust the playmaking piece with him as much as I do with Jalen. And I don't trust the defense as much as I do with Jabari. And I see a lot more room for growth with Jabari. So that's why I'd put Keegan three. Yeah, it's I, I I think I'm with you. I just wonder because like teams haven't respected Jalen Johnson's shot. Like he has zero um, gravity in terms of floor spacing. Um, and I think in a way that's actually like helped him as a passer, like the classic old like Rondo has a better view of the court because guys are sagging off him a little bit. Uh, Jalen Johnson is just like, that's why you take like the high upside, like potentially lackadaisical, uber talented wing, um, who has a weird college experience. Like this is, this is Cam Reddish gone absolutely right. Different player type, but, um, this is why like the Blazers go for Shaden Sharp and the Hawks pick Jalen Johnson in the top 20, despite like a bizarre season at Duke, um, Yeah, it's just like all world talent and it's panning out, which is cool to see. I just wonder, um, like the Hawks are the 11 seed. They've been sliding lately. Um, If they're in the play in and or they sneak into the playoffs. uh, Like what happens to Jalen Johnson uh, on a team that really wants to play Clint Capella and Okongwu significant minutes? uh, Like just what does that look like? Bogdanovich and Trey Young can't be your only sources of spacing if they don't trade to Jonte, an inconsistent three-point shooter. Like, just what does it look like? Um, because last year, there were very, very few non-shooting non-centers uh, deep in the playoffs. I think in the conference finals, Aaron Gordon is the only one you could kind of argue, but even Aaron Gordon uh, has become more and more competent as an open three-point shooter Mm -hmm. uh obviously jimmy butler like often just passes up wide open threes but like he's on the ball so it's different and we know all the stuff jimmy does Uh, but i'm just starting to think about really significant role players like jalen johnson or josh hart on the knicks like how much are these guys who are crucial to what their teams are doing in the regular season um how much are they gonna have to uh, how much will their teams adapt in the playoffs and will it affect their minutes? Uh, can like, do we live in a world anymore where you can be a non-shooting, non-superstar, non-center uh, and maintain your efficiency production uh, in the postseason? Just a thought. Um, and that's, that's why I might have Jalen third here, even if he has the, he might have the highest ceiling of this group. I think I'd go Jabari, Keek and Jalen, just tyranny of the three-point line. Fair. Okay. Uh, potential trade chips for this year. We're going Siakam, Zach Levine, Dejounte Murray. 
And 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 since and since this is very specific to this season, like let's take contract into account. Um, oh, into I, account. Yeah, let, let, let's do that. Okay. They, I they think make similar money. Yeah, I think Siakam's the clear number one. Uh, as a trade ship, he's a bit devalued because he can leave this summer. But if we're just talking this season, Siakam's clearly the best player of this bunch. He's the best defender. He can play make. He can score pretty well. Um, his only weakness at this point is that his three-point shot has kind of deserted him after being a decent three-point shooter earlier in his career. But if you put him in an environment with space, I think he's a really high-level like second option and certainly an extremely overqualified third option. If I'm the Warriors, I'm definitely trying to get Siakam. But with that, so yeah, Siakam's number one, clearly. I think... Levine and DeJounte are interesting. Um, they both have their kind of fit concerns for opposite reasons. Levine, because he doesn't play a lick of defense. And DeJounte, because he's not really respected as a shooter, though his numbers are decent. Um, so there, it really comes down to team context more. I think I'd taking contract into account, I'd probably go DeJounte first and then Levine, just because Levine's contract gets gets pretty huge coming up here and goes yeah. on for a while. But, I mean, if you're a team that needs, uh, like the Lakers, for instance, I think would do well to get either of them. Uh, DeJounte would give them some playmaking that they're missing and then also, like, you know, help contribute to the defense. He's shown the ability to be a really high-level defender in the past, maybe in a more, like, urgent environment he'll sort of tap into that again and then Levine is an elite shooter and is, is a very efficient scorer and I think there's a lot of teams that could really use what he brings to the table like the Lakers could certainly use it I think you know not taking contracts into account Orlando could really use his skill set um, there's several teams where he'd fit but taking contracts in I'd go Pascal first and then a big gap DeJounte and Levine yeah. So DeJounte, the defensive pedigree is intriguing. Like it's widely known that he's regressed a lot as a defender. It's just, there are very few guys in the league that are burning the candle on both ends in that way. Like, especially guards, it just takes a lot out of you. Um, I, and, but DeJounte 2018 second team, all defense, like we know he has that in his bag. Uh, he's just become more, offensively focused I guess as a Hawks player um I'm not the biggest fan of DeJounte's offensive game for all like I and and I it makes me sad to say that because like I I gen I generally like guys that don't fit the like modern basketball mold like he has a really fun like floater runner game like he, he, he has a pretty good touch jumping off of two feet in the lane and like just getting his shot off over smaller guards um <clears throat> A little bit of like SGA light at, at times with him. Uh, but I, I think DeJounte, I watch the Hawks and feel like DeJounte is a bit of an empty calories guy sometimes. And also like a stubborn shooter. Like he's one of those guys that puts his head down on drive sometimes and just decides that no matter what what rim protector is waiting uh, for him at the rim, he's going to get his shot off. Like he's going to he's going to put the ball on the rim, even if there's like a wide open Bogdanovich on the wing or DeAndre Hunter, whoever it may be. Um, I've been a little bit unimpressed with his offense for how good the stats look. And he's making 
threes at a pretty good clip for his career, but I I don't I think in the playoffs, like he just won't be if they're playoffs, he won't be totally respected as a shooter. I roll my eyes at a lot of the like recent um Bill Simmons, Doc Rivers stuff, especially because for years Bill Simmons was just trashing Doc Rivers. And it's become <laughs> apparent to me that Doc never didn't listen to the Bill Simmons podcast for years of like Celtics and Clippers uh coaching. But uh something really interesting and somewhat obvious, I guess, <laughs> that that Doc Rivers said in their last episode, which obviously I still listen to. He said like as soon as your team gets knocked out of the playoffs, the first thing you think as a coach is we need more shooting. And for a couple of weeks there, I was thinking maybe the Thunder don't need to make a trade. Maybe maybe their roster is ready to make a deep run. And then I saw them get blown out in Brooklyn. And I watched Cam Johnson and DFS and Royce O'Neal and Cam Thomas and McCall Bridges just raining threes because for all of the Nets issues, they have a lot of shooting. Um, and the Thunder were taking a lot of twos. And I was just thinking like, as good as Giddy looks, like trade him for McCall, just get a sniper in there. Like that, that, that pressure release valve is just so fucking important. And especially in the playoffs when, you know, in, in, in reductive playoff basketball, you need that floor spacing. Um, so that's all, that's all to say, um, I would put Zach Levine above DeJounte uh, just because I think when in doubt, like just choose an elite skill that you think will translate to the playoffs. And for all of Zach Levine's flaws, I think that he's going to make threes in any setting. Um, And I'm not sure what skill at this point I can bank on DeJounte bringing to my playoff team. Um, And I might just be underrating his processing. Like if, you know, maybe, maybe he plays like, um, a Rondo on the Lakers type role for a really, really good team, but you're paying him a lot for that, for that little usage. Um, Okay. Knicks minutes war. This trio is Dante DiVincenzo, Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart. Okay. So this is just to kind of expose me for thinking Quentin Grimes was the best of this trio at the beginning of the season. I can see, um, that's clearly not been borne out. I do still believe Quentin Grimes is an elite shooter, and he's been playing a lot better since he was moved to the bench and also since the OG trade. But if we're talking like, who do I trust out there in nut crunching time? Uh, Quentin Grimes at the bottom of the pile. DiVincenzo is probably at the top, and I don't want to step on any Knicks discussion, but DiVincenzo as a shooter has just been absolutely elite this year like from from everywhere like the corners above the break he's one of the best spot up shooters in the league and he, and uh, still can't believe that Milwaukee traded him for essentially nothing Ibaka <laughs> Ibaka but yeah I'd put DiVincenzo at the top there he brings a lot in terms of like pushing the pace gets a lot of steals and forces turnovers, gets the Knicks sort of out of their like half-court morass a lot of the time. His only weakness is finishing around the basket, but he brings a lot of the similar sort of undersized rebounding that Hart brings. Not as strong as a defender as Hart, but does a lot of the other things that Hart does, plus is a really good and like scary shooter for defenses. So I'd put DiVincenzo at the top and he's earned that starting spot and has absolutely taken it and run with it. 
And then I'd put Hart too. I think the Ananobi trade was really good for Hart as well because it kind of slotted him back into like being really physical and like playing over his size as a guard or wing as opposed to being asked to play like a wing or power forward role where he's like mentally up for it, but it kind of takes away the advantage of him if you're playing him at that spot. Um, but we saw in the playoffs last year, especially against Cleveland, like his his rebounding, his intensity, especially in home games, can really get the crowd going, which is a is a big component. So I'd put DiVincenzo one, Hart two, Grimes three, but I still do have faith. I mean, Grimes had some playoff moments last year too, especially defensively. I still do think he can be a really good three and D role player and like a starting quality shooting guard. But yeah, I'd go Dante Hart Grimes. Took a few years for him to settle in as a shooter in the NBA, but Dante is officially arrived and that's been really fun. You know how much I love him. And yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see the Knicks are a straight up playoff team right now. Uh, and again, I wonder what's going to happen when you really want to play Josh Hart for everything he brings to your team um, outside of shooting, but you also need some of Hartenstein's offensive rebounding and Julius Randle isn't making threes. And suddenly that's a lot of spacing pressure on guys like Brunson and DiVincenzo. Um, McBride playoff minutes, question mark. Okay. So um, we shouldn't dwell on this one, but I had the Nets just have three, three 30 year old three and D players. Uh, Royce O'Neal, Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney Smith. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. We don't need to get into it. I, I just want to say like, I was a Dinwiddie hater until he gave some really, really interesting stuff to that um, Mavs conference finals run. And I think in the right role, Dinwiddie can still be like D'Lo, but like with some defense when you need it. Um, so uh, just a thought. OKC's two, three, four. Are you just like, a, like okay, chat J-Dub and Josh Giddy. Is Is this easy for you? Yeah. Did it's, I did I give you the order? That's the order. Chet and J Dub are extremely close, and then there's yeah. a big gap to Josh Giddy. Um, J Dub has just been incredible over the yeah. last couple weeks. The passing is really starting to flash. He's putting up double digit assist games. There's cut ups going around Twitter of him throwing lobs to Chet, and their chemistry really developing. But yeah, bigger Manu is absolutely living up to that pre draft comparison I gave him, and. It's, it's a joy to see. And then Chet is just like one of the most polished young bigs we've seen in a long time on both ends. Super efficient from, from all levels on offense and already looking like a defensive anchor. So it, it speaks to how good he's looked that I would already put him above J-Dub, but that's the order. Yep. Uh, just flagging that Giddy was 26% from three as a rookie, 32 and a half as a sophomore. And now 37% in year three, taking three a game, not a huge sample, um, but he's gotten really hot recently. He's, he's cracked 80% from the free throw line. Um, and we know all the magical passing stuff you get with Giddy and the way that he just without hesitation keeps that machine churning. Um, when you have a couple ISO heavy talented guys like J-Dub and SGA, like I think I've come to underrate just how much Giddy stirs that drink. Um, yeah. And he's six, nine, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. But yeah, shout out. I think, I think you're right. 
Shout out Chip England, who the Thunder hired away from the yeah. Spurs as a shooting coach. He's putting him work. Yeah, and I just wonder, like, how long Giddy needs to take more and stay at around thirty-seven percent for that to actually impact the shape of the of the court. Um, but it's a pos- it's it's a positive sign. He's been really hot lately. Uh, okay, my last one before we talk some Knicks, some closing Knicks stuff. Late prime Hall of Famers. Kawhi, Steph, KD. And this is for the playoffs this year. Assuming health or uh, assuming com- assuming max health. So I'm getting this guy for four playoff series. The playoffs start tonight and all three are on teams that made it. Kawhi is number one. Woo! Kawhi is number one. He has been incredible this year. Like his efficiency, I think over his last. I don't know. I saw, I think over his last like 20 games or something, he's averaging like 60, 50, 90 shooting splits or something like that. He's just been insanely efficient. He's looking like peak Kawhi, at least on offense. Defensively, he can reach a level that neither Steph nor KD can reach. KD can get closer, but KD doesn't have the physicality component that Kawhi has in terms of being able to bully people, get to his spots, get to the basket. Um, and Steph, you know, for as great as he is, smaller guys, if they don't have enough help around him, can be taken out of the game at times just by sending multiple bodies at them, putting length on them. They have a harder time overcoming that as opposed to Kawhi, who can really overcome any type of defense that's thrown at him. So if we're guaranteeing health, Kawhi is number one. I'd put Steph number two and KD number three. Um, Steph... You know, his numbers have been down over the last couple months. He's got an insane offensive burden on him. And the lack of creation on the team is, is frankly stunning um, outside of him. So I still think if you put him on a successful, like in a successful environment with like a little more support, you'd still see the the all-time great offensive engine that he is. Um, so I'd put him second and KD, I'd put third. Definitely some concerns the last few years of like, is KD more of a regular season player than a postseason player at this point in his career? Um, his postseason game off is cu- comes down to how efficient is he with his pull up jumper, and in the regular season he makes it at like a sixty percent clip, which is just all time insane, like breaking basketball level efficiency on that shout, shot. Shout out CJ McCollum doing that too this year, and in the playoffs it just doesn't hold up to that level for whatever reason, if it's like the increased physicality that's kind of throwing off his rhythm or just seeing better defenses or whatever it may be. But we've seen it a few years or a couple years in a row now against Boston in that series, they got swept where KD was just really bothered by the Celtics length and physicality. And then against Denver last year where the pull-ups kind of dried up and he had a really good series, but it just wasn't enough. So yeah, I was going to say like that kind of felt like a bounce back playoff series for him and his team got their ass kicked, uh, which is Scary for Phoenix. For the record, I just want to say, I think it was completely ridiculous that a lot of folks were saying that the Raptors got the best player in the OG trade in IQ. Uh, Quickly is obviously an awesome player. I think that we sometimes give a little bit too much praise to like the small guy who has like incredible, offensive tools just because 
on the most bare bones level, like it's just more impressive to see a six foot two, six foot three guy like scoring at will against the best in the world. Um, I went to the Knicks game a couple nights ago. I could not believe the size of OG Ananobi's lower body. As you said, elite jersey filler, like truly crazy. He looks like like the action figure Travis Scott physique. Like it's it's fucking crazy. Um, just like God made him to be an elite defender. Um, and obviously he's fit into the roster seamlessly. Uh, in this calendar year, which we've only had 12 days of it, uh, all of the best plus minus guys in the league seem to be Knicks. And obviously in Toronto, um, RJ's hitting, hit, finding his groove a little bit, scoring efficiently. But this is about the Knicks, who for the first time in years feel like a really good bet to win a playoff series, which obviously they did last year, but we didn't see that coming. This year, I feel like it'll be disappointing if they don't get around based on this win now trade. They've just um, put their chips toward. Okay, talk to me about the new look Knicks, the Knicks that were the talk of the town until last night when Kyrie and Luca. Sorry, sorry, Kyrie. Kyrie's Dallas Mavericks. Bake them a humble pie. Yes, I would have been much more exuberant today if they were six and zero since the og trade but they're just five and one but i'm still going to be pretty exuberant because usually i tend to approach the knicks with like a pretty i think rational perhaps even like underestimating uh lens compared to, to some knicks fans um like before this trade i thought you know maybe we'll have a competitive first round series and if we win that like hopefully we have a competitive second round series but just some numbers since the OG trade. They're five and one. Uh, they've in their five wins, they've basically blown out everyone, uh, except for like a late comeback from Minnesota. But they were blowing Minnesota out for large portions of that game. Absolutely blew the doors off of Philly in Philly in a in a massive win. And then a good win over a hot Chicago team as well, who since um that Levine injury a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, has been one of the hotter teams in the East. They won over them and then some less impressive wins over the Wizards and Blazers, but still taking care of business. In that stretch, they are first in defense by uh, sort of a, a significant margin, seventh in offense as well. That number actually went up after the loss to Dallas yesterday. Uh, and the second best net rating overall in the league at plus 17, second only to the New Orleans Pelicans, who also are looking like a potential second round or further team, much like the Knicks are more on that later. Uh, they're sharing the ball more, especially the starting lineup, which just has like a sky high assist rate drew. You saw it in that game against Portland, but I mean, it looked like they were, there was like shades of the 2014 Spurs out there with like yeah. the way the starting lineup was swinging the ball around. And 20, 2014 Spurs highlights popped up on my Instagram feed today. Like, Words will never do that team justice. And I was thinking about it when you mentioned your J-Dub Manu comp. Uh, yeah, dude. And it was really apparent. Obviously, it doesn't mean a lot because the Blazers are arguably the worst in the world right now. But Brunson went into that Blazers game very apparently like in point guard mode. Like he, he was passing up open shots to hit cutters, to get other guys going, to find DiVincenzo, to find OG like when, uh, you know, when, when the Blazers would double uh, OG would leak from the corner and just like find easy buckets at the rim. And like OG is an underrated finisher as well. Uh, just like the seven foot four wingspan, like 
he, he can dunk pretty much anything. Um, and every like OG, uh, in, in a very, very poor man's Kawhi kind of way, just so little wasted motion in like the way he gets his shots off from various spots on the floor. Um, but I'm just so impressed by one, like the very, very clearly uh, now laid out hierarchy on the Knicks. Like RJ didn't always know his place on the totem pole in terms of shot selection. Like it is so clearly Brunson is the king of this hill now. And he chooses which nights he's going to get 40 and which nights he wants to get 12 assists. He's so in command of the tempo. Um, yeah. And I, I think like Brunson... Brunson's scoring has reached such elite levels that I've been taken aback by just like the the passing field the last few weeks. Um, he doesn't need to score twenty eight to win the Knicks a game, um, and I think he's he's so aware of the quirks of his teammates and like what it takes to get Randall going early, like get Randall going downhill early in games so that we don't have to deal with typical Julius Randall, third quarter body language. Um, obviously as a Randall hater, I've been looking like a fool the last few weeks. He's been a man on a mission. Um, yeah. I'm just so impressed by how many Tibbsian dudes are on this roster. Like Deuce McBride is, is the perfect backup point guard for, for Tibbs. Like, and might be the starting point guard on the Blazers based on the way Scoot's been shooting. Yeah. Uh, on Randall, I think, and I've been sort of a chief Randall criticizer, not as chief as you, but you know, among Knicks fans over the last several years, um, it's pretty wild how he's just transformed his game like four seasons in a row where 2020, 21, uh, it was a lot of really tough mid-range jumpers that were going in at an unsustainable level, but that carried him to averaging like 20, 10 and five or 25, 10 and five. Then the year after that was like a year from hell. And then last year he became a really high volume three point shooter shooting like eight threes a game. Once again, carried him to an all NBA appearance at about 20, 10 and five, but in a totally different way. And then this year he's leaning all the way in the opposite direction towards bullying around the basket where he's shooting like, a Knicks career high in shots at the rim, efficiency at the rim, getting to the free throw line. He's way cut down on the mid-range jumpers, which I think is a, was a very unsustainable source of offense for him. He's cut down on the threes and it's just bully ball, bully ball, bully ball, which he's leaning into like his inner Zion, his inner Giannis. Not that he's nearly the level of like, you know, unstoppable force that those two guys are, but he is six nine two fifty. Like he's a really strong dude that a lot of NBA players can't stay in front of or like, you know, contain from bullying them. And I do think this source of offense from him is a lot more sustainable going into the playoffs. So hopefully I don't get duped once again into like thinking he's going to be a good playoff player. And then it absolutely falls off a cliff. Once again, I definitely have my guard up for that, but of all the Randall, like prototypes going into the playoffs over the last four seasons, this one definitely seems the most sustainable. Uh, and then I also think getting OG just slots everyone in the pecking order is clarified on offense, but also on defense where like before you were tasking like RJ with guarding the best perimeter player uh, or sometimes Josh Hart and Josh Hart is like a very good defender, but he's not the level of defender OG is. And if you throw OG at the first wing guy and then Josh Hart guards the second wing guy, that's a much more clarified pecking order. And then 
Josh Hart, a lot of his value comes from like really bullying guys his size. So when he's playing like the two or the three, he can really beat up on those players and play bigger than he is. But earlier in the season, they were kind of tasking him to play bigger than he was and go against bigger guys at playing the four or the three. And in that role, his value is kind of minimized because he's just kind of matching their physicality at an undersized size as opposed to like really bullying guys that are his size. So I think it slots him into a better role. It slots Dante into a better role. Yeah. And then looking ahead to the playoffs, like, I mean, you can throw OG at like Jimmy Butler. You can throw him at Tatum, Paolo, even Giannis a little bit uh, in the playoffs. Toronto's always been one of the better teams at defending Giannis in the past. Unclear if that's OG or Marc Gasol, Serge Ibaka, but yeah, and then Philly doesn't have as clear of a matchup, but I don't think they deserve any benefit of the doubt in the postseason. I would not be scared to see them in a series. So I'm getting some dangerous thoughts about the Knicks getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I think they need to avoid Miami. Miami's really scary. Um, I do think they can give Boston a run. I wouldn't expect them to beat Boston, but I think like being able to throw OG at Tatum, uh, Hartenstein has been a really good option for them at the big position. They're supposed to get Mitchell Robinson back at some point during the regular season, which is just going to like... It's regular season now? Yes, they're going to get him back at some point during the regular season, probably late. Um, and he's probably going to come wow. off the bench because Hartenstein's been so yeah. good, but he was really good for them early in the year. And yeah, I think this team is really well positioned this year to make the second round and possibly the third round, depending on how the matchups break. And they're a superstar acquisition away from being a title contender. And I'm not, I have some ideas on who that ideal superstar might be given the framework of the team, but how do you think they project in the playoffs? Like, do you think conference finals is a possibility? I think that they could be the heat from last year. Like, I don't think they're making the finals, but I, I they could be, they could play that role in this year's show. Um, Brunson is that good. Like he could be their Jimmy. Um, I think I kind of botched my my quickly bit. I like what I also wanted to say there is that I think like quickly just has become a little bit overrated because of the on-off numbers. He spent so much time dominating second units over the course of his early career here. Um and in general with the Knicks and I just feel like there's so much less ego in the offense. Quick like uh, like Hartenstein is will literally take one shot and play 36 minutes and get you 18 boards. And he's so happy about it, Um, which is partly probably credit to Mitch because he's been watching Mitch play the most selfless, like perfect center basketball for a long time now. Um, Getting quickly in RJ out of the offense, it just feels like more than ever, the Knicks are, ta- are, are finding and taking the best shot available. Um, and that's not to say that that quickly isn't a really positive player, but the size of this roster just feels vastly different now. Um, and that's what you need when your best player is a six foot one, six foot two subpar point of attack defender. Yeah, it's a it's a really big roster. And this is a team that we saw in the playoffs last year against Cleveland really thrives when they can be the bully. And they really bullied Cleveland that whole series, short series. 
And they, against Miami, they were no longer the bullies. Like Miami's a mentally tough team, even though they were smaller than the Knicks, they were able to sort of match that mental edge. That's why I think Miami's a bad matchup. And though OG helps in the Milwaukee matchup, I think Milwaukee's a bad matchup as well for the Knicks. Uh, some Knicks fans kind of say they'd prefer to see Milwaukee than Boston. I'm the other way around. I always feel like we play Boston close and Milwaukee often beats the crap out of us. OG might help in guarding Giannis, but we just historically haven't had a way to stop him. And we also don't have like a great Dame defender either. So, and not that they have a good Brunson defender, but we don't have a great Dame defender. So, and we can't bully them because Giannis and Brooke Lopez are huge and we're not going to like destroy them on the glass in the way that we do other teams. So while Boston is much more talented than Milwaukee, I think, or at least more talented than Milwaukee, I think they're, you know, mentally softer than either Milwaukee or Miami in a way that the Knicks can try to exploit and try to beat them up on the glass. And, uh, and you know, a lot of their guys are big, but skinnier, like Chris Stops or Tatum. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think Miami and Milwaukee are the matchups the Knicks have to avoid. But if they can play a first-round series against anyone else in that three to six, three to eight range, like, I, I trust them to beat any of them. And in the second round, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, as far as dream superstar acquisition, I kind of think it's Devin Booker yeah. like Dante's awesome but if you slot and if you slot the problem is I think it's Devin Booker but I don't think it's Donovan Mitchell just because of the height difference Devin Booker's a better defender um and he's just a little bit better than Donovan Mitchell where if you slot Donovan Mitchell in you still don't quite have that guy who's the best player on a finals team I think between Brunson and Mitchell like they're both a tier below that and maybe those two combined with elite defense gets you there. But I think if you slot Booker in, he's a little bit stronger of a defender where your backcourt isn't just going to get torched and also add some of the playmaking. He's a good off ball player as well as on ball. So he can kind of just be like a supercharged DiVincenzo. And then the other dream superstar acquisition would be Embiid uh, filling in at the five role. But this right. team, I think, is just like perfectly well positioned to drop a star into either the two spot or the five spot and really take off from there. So I'm very curious to see where they go from here. They've got a light bit of their schedule coming up where I think they can really make up a sort of a gap in the Eastern conference between them and some of the teams around him. But yeah. I think the what this team is currently so it's now so crisply delineated. Like you've got your quarterback, you've got like this, the O-line bodyguards, like in Hartenstein, Mitch is going to come back, OG. You've got like your wide-out receivers who are just running the wings, Hart, DiVincenzo, Grimes. Uh, you bring a guy like Donovan Mitchell in there, and it it distorts that a little. Um, whereas, obviously, like Booker, you just would take in any scenario. It makes you so much more dynamic. Um, another A name that came to mind, Kyle Kuzma, has like a decent fit. Um, I'm still not convinced, like that we should be writing off Kuzma as a winning player. I think he's been a little bit unfairly looped into the Jordan Poole on-court shenanigans. And just, we've seen Kuzma succeed in a winning environment. Um, it's hard to know who the winning players are on this Wizards team because they're so bad. Um, but maybe, like, steal a big wing from, and if it's not Kuzma, it could be Denny Avdia. He, he, he 
could be like the the second OG on your team, the poor man's OG. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are those are two names that came to mind. Yeah, I I think they I don't love the Kuzma fit just because he wouldn't start, and I'm not sure you could play him OG and Randall together because Tibbs loves having a five on the court, and yeah. I don't really want to pay a bench player thirty million a year. Um, I think probably the biggest need is someone to replace the quickly shot generation off the bench. Now, maybe that'll be Deuce. He's been really good since uh, the OG trade. He's been hitting his yeah. three, playing exceptional defense as he always does. So maybe but that's Deuce, guys. Deuce, Deuce is really kind of Deuce is more that like Mario Chalmers mold. He's Pat less. Bev. Yeah, Pat Bev, better defense than Chalmers. He doesn't have the quickly wiggle. Uh, exactly. Edit. He's stiff. So Brogdon has been thrown around as a potential target. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich as well. Maybe Tyus Jones, like someone who can fill that backup point guard spot and like bring just a little bit of creation when Brunson is off the court, uh, I think is really what this team needs and probably what they'll try to target ahead of the deadline. Maybe they'll try to get a backup wing as well. But uh, yeah, I think the the backup guard spot is more important. Hell yeah. All right, the Knicks are back. This has been the Borstrick Podcast. We'll be back soon. Peace.